You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine, to all of those ancestral helping spirits who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in that legacy into our lives, into the lives of the living. I call out to those people who lived well, who died well, who met the challenges of their time, who held true to those things that must be held and practiced and continue and who innovated and changed and healed for those things that are no longer useful, those things that no longer grow corn. So I ask these ancestors to stand with us here today to hold us well and to help help us, the living, to meet the challenges of our own time, to innovate where we, we must innovate and to stay true to the teachings where the teachings are still what we must hold. And let us be able to discern the difference and to draw strength from the ancestors in doing whichever one the moment calls for. So I call out to these ancestors to gather around us here today, and I ask each one of you to reach beyond these human ancestors, to those who have been here long before there were humans, the great, great web of life that is all around this beautiful earth, and we reach out to all of those who inhabit that web of life with us. And so to all of life, I call out and ask these ancestors to stand with us here today to help us to understand our true nature, to help us to focus on those things that abide, to help us to not be so distracted by the shiny, sparkly things, but to actually focus in deeply on the things that have heart and meaning and to do what it is that we have come here to do. So I call out to our ancestors, human and non-human, to gather around us here today and to assist us in these proceedings. So as these helping spirits gather round, I invite you to gather yourself from wherever you might be, and let's draw ourselves from wherever that is into our head, from our head down to our heart, from our heart to our belly, and let us reach deeply into the earth and take a moment, stop all the many things that we're doing and do just one thing, give thanks. Let us give gratitude and thanks for our life, for the magic of this particular day, for the beauty, for the diversity, and for the awe of life itself. We give enormous gratitude to the great mystery and the wonder of life, the great tapestry of life, for our our opportunity to be part of it. And as our heart fills with this gratitude, let us extend our energy down through all the layers of the earth, offering this gratitude as we go so that each layer of the earth receives our thanks receives our heartfelt gratitude and as we reach deep to the center of the earth let us offer our thanks there as well thanks to this great planet 
this being, this place that we call home, we give deep, deep, deep gratitude. And may we take a moment and focus in on that which gains its power in the darkness and the stillness and the silence and the peace, that which nourishes and restores, that which is the potential before it becomes something here on the surface, but that energy that restores it all and nourishes it all. And as we reach deeply into this energy, let us draw it up into our life as we would reach deeply into a spring of fresh, clear water on a very hot day. Let us draw this energy up into our bodies, into our day, into these proceedings to bring in the wisdom of manifestation that we can learn how to be here in form in a good way. Let us draw up the energy that replenishes and renews and restores that which nourishes us and helps us to grow. May we grow more loving and wise and joyful with this energy. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand about connection and interconnection and how to come into right relationship. So as we connect deeply into our body and from our body deeply into the earth, let us know where we stand and come to know what we stand for. To truly know easily within our heart what does have meaning and purpose for you in life and to build your sense of home your sense of belonging and connection from that which has meaning for you that which moves your heart and let us do so in a way that we open ourselves to the other that we are able to receive those foreign energies that will impact us in such a way that it awakens the sleeping man and the sleeping woman that lives within us and that we can become the people we were really born to be. And so we invite in that diversity. We invite in that otherness and we ask the energies of the earth to help us to learn how to be in right relationship with all of these things. Let us come into right relationship with ourselves, right relationship with the environment around us, with the people around us, with all of life around us and with the invisible world. And as the energy of the earth helps us to understand how to come into right relationship even with our many, many aspects of our inner self. Let us hope in that in a moment in this day that we can reach out to the great web of life and connect in to that blessing and know ourself and know our place in that web. And so for all that the earth offers us, we give gratitude. We draw that energy from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind. And we send the energy up all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call that energy in whatever way you understand it, connect to it and let it connect with you and draw this energy down into yourself, into your day, into these proceedings. And in this way, we call in the energy of blessing, that essence energy that is present all around in every day and we call this energy in we call in the energy of newness and the opportunity to treat each moment as the dawn of a new day we call in the energy of protection that we can protect these new things that we are becoming that we are creating that we are and the changes that we are making we call in the energy of commitment and devotion that we can stay with uh, the work that needs repetition and uh, completion. And we call out to the benevolence of the universe that this energy nourishes us as we go through our day. 
We call out to that energy that inspires and illuminates and lights the way in the dark moments of life. We call this energy in and we call in the beneficence of our universe. We draw these energies intentionally into ourselves, into our day, to orient ourselves in a particular way. So we call this energy into our head, to our heart, to our belly, and send it down to the center of the earth. And in this way, heaven and earth are connected within us, and we become that place that holds, uh, that is the residence of this big love between these two great legendary energies. And may that big love awaken the spirit of our own heart. And as the heart awakens, may we bring that crucible of transformation um, online and begin to warm it up and allow the heart to do what it does, which is to draw up the fiery passions of the belly, that sense of that which truly gives your life meaning and purpose and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind that can look around you to see, hmm, how am I going to do that in this time in which I live? And we draw these energies together, very different and yet needing each other, needing each other to complete that which tells us why we are here. So may you find in your heart, in that crucible of transformation, some sense, some memory, some inkling of why it is that you have come into this life and find courage in your heart to do something today, large or small, to bring those gifts into manifestation in the world. So with enormous gratitude, I give thanks for all of the helping spirits gathering around us. May what needs to be said be said and what needs to be heard be heard here today. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I'd also like to offer a special thank you um, to those people who have been able to donate financially. So I thank Renee and Cynthia and Glenn, Amelia, Jose and Katie, and all of, all of you who are able um, to be listeners and sponsors. So for those of you that are listening, perhaps for the first time, Why Shamanism Now is listener supported. That means listeners just like you who feel they've been moved in some way that find value in the show, even if the value is irritation and frustration. Um, That makes you think, that makes you grow, that makes you perhaps uh, do something differently. Whatever that might be, it means that we've been moved in the heart. And I ask you to do that most fundamental of shamanic things, which is to allow that which moves you in your heart to move you into action in the world. And so with that said, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com. You can click the support button and scroll down. You can donate any amount, large or small. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. Yes, I say that every week, but it is true. Um, And I am deeply grateful for it. For without your support, we would not be able to pay the bills that allow us to keep the archives Um, on the internet and the shows live and available for anyone in the world who's able to access the internet. And so for your efforts with me in this regard, I am thankful. And I am also grateful for those of you that are actually doing things with the messages in the show, that are taking the teachings into your life, that are wrestling with them, that are coming up with good questions, that are coming up with good show ideas. And so I'm, I'm deeply grateful for those of you that are engaging with what we share here on the show, since this is all about the practical application of shamanism in your everyday life. So thanks for all that you do to help the show to grow. Um, Without you, we wouldn't still be here eight years later. So um, thank you. Um, We are not live today, 
but if you have questions about today's topic, you're welcome to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And if you're curious about upcoming classes in the fall, you can also go to lastmaskcenter.org and look at the calendar and see what's upcoming. If you're interested, you can register through the calendar. Now, the shows, the archive of the shows are at whyshamanismnow.com, as well as iTunes and co-creatornetwork.com. So there's lots of places you can access the shows. Um, You need to go to Last Mass Center if you want to find out about classes and teachings. Okay, so today our show topic is Mythical Beasts and Weirdness, Working with Helping Spirits. So this is our last show in this series about... um, kind of comparing and contrasting and looking at how different types of helping spirits or beings who are willing to act as helping spirits function um, with us as we use our shamanic skills to engage with them. Um, So the mythical beasts, um, so what defines something as a mythical beast? So this is a beast that we believe never existed in physical form, uh, but never is a very long time and humans haven't been here for that whole time and so I wonder so I wonder for example why does the mythology of peoples who have never spoken to each other their cultures have never met their oceans apart um, why do these stories which are often different stories contain similar mythical beasts if these creatures really did not exist Why are they in the mythical lore of the peoples of this planet? So it's a curious thought. But like I said, there's been a lot of time and a lot of life on this planet long before there was a person. So either way, whether they do or did not ever exist in physical form, the fun is that mythical beasts are very cool to work with in shamanic altered states. They are... um, perhaps one of my personal favorites and partly because they bring with them a quality of the great mystery that the plants and animals that are more familiar to us don't necessarily carry because they're mythical beasts (laughs) and um, so anyway they're very cool Uh, should they show up in your journeys you do need to pay attention Uh, there is a quality in the mythical beasts of being not of this world Um, because they're not of our world. So this is obviously our own um, anthropocentric perspective. But the point is they're somewhat not of this world and we are of this world. So the kind of intuition that works for us with other um, spirit help of this world, be it of the land, um, of the plant kingdom, of the animals, birds, we don't necessarily have exactly the same intuitive instinct for the mythical beasts. Um, some people do. It, it really depends on how much you um, have engaged in fantasy in your life. And I mean fantasy in the sense of that section in the bookstore, um, board games, um, role-playing games, the degree to which you have engaged your imagination and played into um, worlds other than this world, um, not necessarily um, as a psycho-emotional escape from this world, but because you enjoy the fantasy, you enjoy the other world, you enjoy um, 
reading those kinds of books. And so for those people, you may have already have a kind of um, an instinct. But it's, it has been interesting to work with students who have only read serious books, autobiographies, you know, that they don't, they don't dabble in things like Harry Potter or Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Riders of Pern or something like that. They would, they would never deign to read such a thing. But consequently, their imagination is a little stunted often. And they're not unless they read a lot of science and a lot of physics, which then expands your mind in another way. A lot of people that really stick to the classics lack imagination and it's a little hard for them to deal with these mythical beasts and that whole sort of fantasy realm. They tend to dismiss the whole thing. Now, of course, it's precisely that kind of person that gets a mythical beast as a helping spirit. Um, But moving right along, (laughs) we won't get into the – I mean – Fundamental principle of all helping spirits, no matter what type of being that they are, is you get the helping spirits you deserve and the helping spirits that you need. And it's one of those places in life where we don't necessarily get what we want, but you do definitely get what you deserve. So back to the not not of this world quality um, – so what I want to explore today is why would why you would want to work with something that is not feels to you like it's not of this world. And the reason is because your soul is not limited to this world either. This is where you incarnate and manifest your soul's purpose ideally. But you're not limited and there is a great deal of emotional and psychological stress and illness that arises from people buying in too deeply into what they perceive of as their human or their physical limitations. And so mythical beasts are great helping spirits for those of you who have done that, who suffer over your suffering of being here incarnate as a human. And mythical beasts are great to help you with that because there isn't a person here who is actually limited in that way that our soul transcends not only this life but many lives and we're bigger than that effectively and this is what i am beginning to refer to when i talk about having a good relationship with your cosmic soul i mean yeah it's basically just your soul but the point is being aware of your soul outside of the typical limitations of contemporary thinking at least contemporary western thinking Um, because the whole point is you're here incarnate for the development of your soul not to be a consumer you know not just to work and die you know you're here to manifest beauty to be medicine to to grow your soul through the learning of this lifetime and so realizing your everyday ordinary contemporary life is precisely for that reason begins to shift your perspective about why you're here and what you need to spend your time doing okay so back to the helping spirits as we know helping spirits take many forms from my perspective it's only mine few are as cool as the mythical beasts now what what a mythical beast is is absolutely cultural so you'll need to do your research which is of course enormously easier on a superficial level these days because of Google um, and the internet. Uh, I would suggest you go deeper than that um, if you have a mythical beast as a helping spirit. But 
for all intents and purposes, it can at least help you figure out what the hell that thing was in your journey, which is not always um, clear because some mythical beasts are composites of what many different animals. Um, so, for example, if for those of you that have read Harry Potter, you know Harry Potter reintroduced us to unicorns and griffins, um, phoenix, big character in Harry Potter, the, the phoenix bird, and dragons, of course. So the point is every culture has its own mythology and within that mythology its own mythical beasts. So, for example, let's take serpents, big snakes. Now, there are many, many cultures that have the equivalent story of the cosmic serpent. In other words, where did your ancestors come from? They came from pointing up into the heavens on some kind of serpent. So Quetzalcoatl, for example, is a great example, the plumed serpent um, who, who brought the people. Now, the serpent that you're seeing in your journey could just be a snake. Just everyday ordinary, nothing wrong with a snake as a helping spirit either. Or the serpent that showed up in your journey could be a naga, could be um, uh, uh, Asian um, snake, serpent, spirit. And that's a big deal. There's a lot about working with the, with the nogs, okay? And it could just be the spirit of ayahuasca showing up in its healing form as a great big um, anaconda, right? So you've got a serpent in your journey. Who is it? What kind of serpent is it? Where, where does it hail from? What is its story? What are you dealing with? Now, so the most important thing for you to take from all of these shows on helping spirits is go ask the helping spirit. Don't ask people. Go ask the helping spirit. What kind of serpent are you? Where, where do you come from? And ultimately, why are you here? What, what are you here to teach me? And get a sense of what scale of serpent, for example, are you dealing with? Are you dealing with an everyday ordinary fabulous helping spirit that's a snake totally of this world or well the non-ordinary reality version of this world or are you dealing with a big spirit that's got big history because then you may want to um, approach the relationship differently and that's of course the point of today so you got different serpents or snakes and all of this requires respect and honor in the relationship but how you show that respect, um, how you uh, show up with your intent uh, should be different depending on who those serpents actually are in the long run. But up front, in the beginning, be honorable and respectful. And it never hurts after you've confirmed, are you my helping spirit or are you my teacher? Because you may have just journeyed into something where somebody was just passing through and now you're asking them questions and they're helping you, but they're not necessarily helping spirit for you. So it's always important when you meet a new helping spirit to ask, you know, are you my teacher? Get some kind of affirmation or confirmation that that is so. Okay, so given that, it's important when a new teacher shows up, especially a mythical beast, to be honorable and respectful. And then it never hurts to simply share your ignorance. And uh, I, 
I don't know your mythology. I don't even actually know what to call you. And I'm sorry that I'm so ignorant. Um, uh, my desire is not to offend you. I'm sure there's protocol that I should be doing, but I, I am simply ignorant of that protocol. And I, I'm sorry. Um, I'm just a human and I'm odd and I'm, I'm honored that you're here in my journey. Um, how, how should I greet you? You know, how should I begin to show my sincere intent to create good relationship with you? Right? So that was just my little little monologue for what I might do in a journey should a new helping spirit show up. Right? So with that said, the other thing is don't panic. Don't now create dogma out of all of this stuff I've been talking about in this whole series of shows about helping spirits. All the helping spirits respect our need to learn. Some will be more patient with it than others. But if we're respectful, we are honoring, we are um, aware of our ignorance, and, then, and, and engage in actually learning sincerely, and of course doing what the helping spirits say, assuming it rings true with our truth cord, then there's a whole lot of patience for us. Um, and this is particularly true in this instance of meeting a new helping spirit, particularly a mythical beast, and endeavoring to create a good relationship. So here's my suggestion, which is start with what is simple and sincere. Uh, with the helping spirit, agree on something that you can do, something you can really do in your daily life, not your imaginary life you wish you had, but the one you do, right? What can you really do? And do it regularly. Dailiness matters, especially when we're wanting to cultivate a relationship with a helping spirit. Dailiness matters much, much more than irregular extravagance. So what you do every day, even if it's a humble offering of rice wine, matters far more than, than occasionally, randomly, when you have a moment every three months, showing up with all the regalia. So... The next step I would say in my list of suggestions here is explore what would be considered traditional offerings. Once you figure out who this mythical beast is, explore, mean do research, explore what would be considered a traditional offering for this mythical beast, which might take reading some folklore to find out what, how did people engage with this mythical beast. And then explore finding these offerings here in ordinary reality because that adventure bringing you into new places and finding new things not necessarily just ordering it on the internet but actually exploring your world may be part of why this helping spirit has entered into your practice so once you've done a little research and have some sort of background and understanding a little bit more about the animal instead of going at it like now you know exactly what to do the next thing I would say is Ask if they would still like this offering of, I don't know, plum pudding or something. Is this, is this still something that you would like? Um, and maybe not. You know, maybe they're interested in something new in this new time. And just show that you're learning, that you were willing to go do some research and find out about the stories, and just ask. Ask if there is a way that you could do something similar 
that would be more authentic or more meaningful for you and your relationship with the beast. Don't assume just because it was done in the past that the beast desires that you do it now. And ask. Talk with the helping spirit. Get to know them. Ask them questions. Try things. What does it feel like when I leave this offering, which is easy for me to leave, versus this offering that's a little bit more challenging? And see what happens. See what happens as you do it. What, how does the relationship feel? And so finally, I would say that what I've noticed for myself and my students, that things really begin to change when we ask for songs. And when we ask or we write songs based on the teachings that we're receiving or we bring ask for prayers or blessings um, that we can use in relationship to a helping spirit, especially a mythical beast that has lore, you know, that, that has a history of hearing its stories told, to come with an original new song, um, a new prayer or blessing, that this can really show um, the sincere intent in your heart to forge a truly intimate relationship with the helping spirit and the thing we have to remember is these traditional stories these traditional songs or blessings they're all fine but where do you think they came from they came from somebody just like you encountering and being awed by this mythical beast having an experience with them and writing the story or creating the song so the whole point is in your engagement with the mythical beast engage with them write your own stories about your work with these helping spirits call in your own songs okay so back to my point which was about the serpents um so my point is these beings because they're not um always easily identifiable they could have many they could uh, be a being mythical beasts could be a being on many different scales basically so it could be a cosmic serpent like Quetzalcoatl the plume serpent or it could be a snake Um, my point is don't panic enter into the relationship step by step learn always run everything by your truth cord and ask the beast to confirm things Don't necessarily ask people to confirm things. I mean, unless you actually have um, access to people who are in relationship with this mythical beast through their traditional practice. I mean, that would be a great source um, of information and an honor for it to be shared with you. But like I said, this mythical beast may want something different from you, something new, something that hasn't Uh, been part of the traditional relationship so you need to ask and you need to confirm things with the helping spirit with the mythical beast not necessarily with people okay so in this realm of uh, mythical beasts and weirdness um, not that the mythical beasts are weird but once we start to talk about mythical beasts then there's also some weirdness around but anyway Relative to mythical beasts, there's a couple kinds of helping spirits that I want to touch on. So one would be either usually the mistress of the beasts or the keeper of the beasts, um, the mistress of the animals of the sea. Um, So this is a, a being whose job is to tend the animals and to tend the relationship between the humans and the animals. 
um, so that the humans receive animals who are willing to offer themselves so the humans can eat the animals, but that the humans don't um, waste on one hand, but more important than that, that they deserve the lives of these animals based on how the humans are living. And so sometimes we can encounter strange and amazingly powerful um, creatures who are actually the keepers of the animals. Um, another um, kind of helping spirit we'll just call shapeshifters, that they're not necessarily like a mythical beast, a composite of many different beasts, like a griffin, um, or certain dragonish kinds of beings in the past. There's lots of this also in um, Chinese mythology. But anyway, my point is shapeshifters are are. A, help, a helping spirit that simply changes form. They're not a composite of many things. They're just constantly changing form. Now, shape-shifting is a common and normal aspect of shamanism. It's not weird in shamanism at all. Some helping spirits are specifically shape-shifters. They have no uh, home form, no, no natural form. But on the other hand... Most helping spirits are shapeshifters, in a, like a small s shapeshifters. So, but my point is, there are some helping spirits that are capital S shapeshifters. Okay, so back to mythical beasts. Um, one of the things about mythical beasts as helping spirits is they tend to engage multiple human wisdom bodies versus communicating just specifically to our mind or our heart. Uh, through the journey, but the mythical beasts tend to engage us as a whole being with multiple wisdom bodies, and so their messages are often um, confusing to us initially, um, or they seem overly simplistic initially, because we haven't yet had all the wisdom bodies sort of check in with what the meaning is in the message, and once it all comes together, we realize the complexity, the wisdom and the complexity in the message. So, the mythical beasts then, they tend to engage multiple wisdom bodies simultaneously and to make us, and, and the messages or the teachings we receive from them then tend to make us behave in our capacity to be more than human. That there's a, there's a kind of a superhuman capacity that people can um, rise into. And the mythical beasts tend to bring that out of us and, and make that action seem normal to us until we do it. And then we kind of come back to our ordinary way of thinking and realize, holy crap, what did I just do? But it's done. And it was amazing. Right? So they have a tendency to bring that quality out of us. Okay, so because of this, then the mythical beasts – are very uh, powerful and intense around changing our perspective, particularly things that we take as reality or as normal, um, helping us to see through the biases and limitations we carry as ordinary that keep us from seeing a bigger perspective. Um, so they help us also engage in the larger dimension of the human heart. And for those who don't do a lot of work healing, 
the stories of brokenheartedness that come through your life, this this conflict can be very painful. M- meaning, the conflict that I'm meaning is the mythical beast is coming in to begin to teach you, wanting you to really engage the larger dimensions of your human heart. But your heart is still, you are still crippling your heart by holding on to old stories, old pains, and old brokenheartedness that you have not yet received the healing to move through. And so that can feel um, like a very uncomfortable conflict. And what that would mean to me and my life is that I am behind the timetable for getting to my own heart healing and I need to get with the program. I need to step up the type of healing I'm receiving, the resources I'm putting towards it, and my focus, because there is a helping spirit showing up saying, this is the time that we're in now. You're, you are ready to be doing this, and if you're not capable of doing that, then you need to get capable. And so that's, that's how I would treat that kind of um, what is often experienced in people as a very painful conflict. And, and often it feels like the helping spirit's being mean um, or quote-unquote causing pain when the truth is helping spirit isn't doing any of that what's causing pain is your inability to let go of stories that need to be set free and in particular letting your heart find its wings again and engage in life with this amazing mythical beast that's just showed up your heart's longing to to take on its greater dimensions and you're still wallowing around in history um, another thing about mythical beasts in particular is they help you to believe the impossible is actually possible. I was just talking about this. So um, they basically say, you know, just take these steps. And the steps usually make absolutely no sense. Um, but there's something in your heart that knows that it's true. Something about the um, I've got your back quality of the mythical beasts in that sort of non-ordinary um, not just non-ordinary reality, but not of this world way, where it just makes the impossible possible in, in your relationship with this helping spirit. It rings your truth cord. You go do these crazy, insane things, and it does do exactly what the helping spirit said that it would do. And that's real typical for work with mythical beasts. So, for example, there's a mythical beast that assists me in shaping the um, teachings that came through different helping spirits into the cycle teachings, which are which then function inside a larger shamanic cosmology. And I could never have done that, never have thought in that multidimensional way without the constant assistance of a mythical beast. And the mythical beast's capacity to hold something that is multidimensional, many multivariables operating on a lot of different levels for a human being. It's very challenging to operate on all those levels all at once. Mythical beast makes it look easy, makes it look ordinary, and you go, oh, yeah, sure, that's clear. We can do that. And sure enough, you do. And then it begins to be um, a reality um, that was prior impossible. So this is... This is, for me, the great gift of the mythical beasts, is that capacity to live beyond our perceived limitations in a way that is useful for today. That's the important thing with all helping spirits, is we all, human beings, all have the capacity to go beyond their um, healthy boundaries and their groundedness and go all cosmic and 
vastly expansive. Big deal. So what? It's not affecting our lives in a positive way. You're just escaping. And so the mythical beasts create this way that we can connect into what is often considered fantasy and make the impossible reality in a really powerful, meaningful, and life-giving way. And that, to me, is the whole point of being here. And so uh, back to the mythical beasts, for my money, they are totally cool. And so I guess the last thing I think is really unique, particularly about the mythical beasts. So, for example, with deities, I tend to always be reminded what a puny human I am relative to the deities. But with the mythical beasts, I'm really reminded of my cosmic self, my larger self, my greater capacity that is beyond what I can even imagine. And yet somehow with this totally cool, not of this world, mythical beast, that larger self seems totally reasonable and ordinary. And I live into it. And this to me is the gift of the mythical beast very, very differently than all the other helping spirits. Um, so then mostly you would engage with mythical beasts if you want to grow up and stop acting like your silly culture has anything to do with the real reality that's going on here and why you're here. If you want to get with the program, I mean, really get with the program. Why are you an infinite soul incarnate in this body at this crazy time of enormous challenge? Mythical beast is going to help you to understand that and get with that program now. And it will require that you sacrifice your suffering. That you sacrifice all those old stories, all the limitations, all of the many ways that you make yourself small and tie yourself down to this sad, sad story about how you're all alone here as a human, wrong place, wrong body, wrong time, wrong planet. Oh, I'm so alienated. And you got to let all that go. You got to be willing to be here now and be amazing. Let your magnificence out or the mythical beasts, they're just not going to want to play. So you engage the mythical beasts when you want to start caring more about your soul and the nobility of your body that carries that soul in the world. Then you care about your mind or your pain or your stories or your suffering or all the distractions, which basically amounts to what I call the shit in your head. You got to stop caring about that and care more about what could be. Or you end up engaging with mythical beasts because they won't go away and they tell you, you must engage. So, you know, they are helping spirits. They follow their own rules. So depending on the mythical beast, that the, the nature of the mythical beast itself, it is also often true that they are profoundly protective. Um, so there are many mythical beasts that are actually merged with family lines as, um, as protectors of that family, of that bloodline. And so if you've got some mythical beast that keeps tracking, you, tracking with you and, and following you around, it could be because it is long ago that mythical beast made a relationship with some noble and worthy human being in your bloodline, some way back ancestor, and that the lines are merged. Not merged, but the relationship was forged. And while human beings forget, because they have the attention span of gnats, the mythical beast does not. So that's a possibility. Um, 
this is um, really common. It's it's interesting working in New York City because here's a city full of people, all many coming from an old world where this kind of relationship is not uncommon. And there's these sort of um, disused... um, mythical beasts everywhere a lot of gargoyle type type things a lot of these family line protective mythical beings nobody's aware of anymore that are hanging out protecting the family but nobody's leaving them offerings nobody's uh, singing their song no one is grateful um and yet they're that city is just ripe with all of these beings now they're scary they're like gargoyles they're scary on purpose because they're meant to scare away the things that are even worse and so often people are afraid of them children are often afraid of them and yet they come of course to protect the children of the bloodline and then the kids get scared because they're scary and so that's another thing to think about in terms of these mythical beings is is when they're really present and really protective there must have been an agreement made and how can you live into that agreement in an honorable way today? And so one of the things is to look into the folklore of the regions your long ago ancestors come from, particularly at a time when they still worked the land or raised horses on the land or, you know, whatever it is, but they somehow worked with the land in some way um, to sustain their life. Okay, so... Different mythical beasts are going to offer different gifts, obviously. Um, So what gifts a particular mythical beast brings depends entirely on who or what you're working with. Um, But with that said, working with them can be very similar to working with deities in that sense of working with an energy that is old and intense and very powerful and has been engaged with humans for a long time. And so tends to see us as humanity or you as your whole bloodline. You know, so it, you tend to sometimes need to negotiate the fact that you aren't actually personally responsible for a whole bunch of people that behave badly for the last 3,000 years, right, or whatever. My, my point is that working with mythical beasts can have that similar quality as working with deities that Langston spoke so well about several weeks ago in the show about deities and archetypes. Um, Unlike deities who are often worshipped, thus deity, (laughs) (laughs) unlike deities who are often worshipped, mythical beasts are often allies of deities, but they are not necessarily worshipped in and of themselves. Some are, some aren't, depending. Right, And so keep that potential relationship in mind by connecting with a particular um, mythical beast. You may also, by association, be connecting with a deity that you should at least inform yourself about. Um, nonetheless, okay, so with mythical beasts, there may be protocol. As I said earlier, you may need to do a little research and understand what protocol is expected and then find out from the mythical beast whether they that is still what they want or need. Maybe there's an extra step. Maybe there's um, some variation because of how things have changed. I don't know. The point is, you need to know. You and you need to work with the mythical beast to find out. There may be a need for negotiation, as I've already discussed, and it's very important to understand. Um, 
in in the giving of offerings or the way you engage in non-ordinary reality or um, all of the things that you do to build the relationship to keep in mind the reciprocal nature of things and then always keep in mind the potential that other human beings or you in other lifetimes have debt to this mythical beast and that it's important that you discover how you can make that debt right before you continue to go on in the work and it's not that the again as i've said before about debt it's not that the helping spirits are necessarily going to behave the way people would when you owe them money or something it's more that their ability to assist you is grossly limited when you're not in right relationship with them so when you are in debt to them they can only help you so much once you make right and then begin to have a um, a real juicy working relationship with them then all that they have to offer is accessible to you so it has to do with opening the pipeline basically not with judgment and uh, recrimination i think that's the right word um okay so the cautions with mythical beasts would be similar to the cautions with deities is just remember mythical beasts have a long history with humans you need to know <clears throat> excuse me know some of the pitfalls that are are um, shared in the mythology about these beasts but what's amazing to me is how little people pay attention okay so we have harry potter and a lot of people read Harry Potter. A lot of people went to the movies. But if you read Harry Potter, there was a lot about the phoenix in it, about how their tears are healing. Oh, I can't remember everything right now. But there were at least three or four things that were a part of the lore of the phoenix, you know, the bird that goes to ashes and rises from the ashes. So it's a really powerful mythical beast, particularly for humans, particularly in a time of great human suffering. That we can rise from the ashes of our life again and again is an extremely powerful message. It's an extremely powerful um, helping spirit to have supporting you. And, and yet, in spite of all the popularity and all the things Phoenix does in those movies and books, people get Phoenixes in their own um, journey world, in their own landscape, and don't pay any attention to the fact that the Phoenix's tears were healing. And don't get the fact that the mythology is playing out in your journey. Pay attention. Track the story. Recognize what's going on and participate in it actively instead of um, as if you are a person from a culture that's so very special that everything that brought us to this point in time doesn't matter. So pay attention to what's happening. So anyway, <laughs> so the cautions are similar to deities in that the helping spirits, the mythical beasts may have certain purposes or missions in a sense of their own that you need to be sure you're in right relationship with. Um, as I said, there's long history, long traditions with humans. It would be wise to inform yourself of to see if any of them are impacting you um, Either way, either by engaging with them, you could make the relationship stronger or that these are things historically you would want to avoid, something like that. Um, 
And then finally, the thing is, as always, when you are working with helping spirits that have a long history and of, of uh, being engaged with people in their culture, when people are still living in that culture and still actively engaging in a living tradition with this mythical beast, um, be respectful and honorable and don't just try to appropriate their ways um, and don't think just because you have that helping spirit in your shamanic life that you're part of that culture and that you can claim things that are not otherwise yours. So just be aware. You know, appropriation is theft. Be aware of that. Stay conscious. Okay. So with that said for the moment about mythical beasts, I wanted to take a tiny little departure here and talk for a minute about weirdness. Because we've had a lot of shows here about different kinds of helping spirits and we haven't talked about weirdness. Okay, what I mean by weirdness is that there is a very strong principle taught um, in the Foundation for Shamanic Studies as you teach people to journey. It's in Michael's book, The Way of the Shaman, and it's repeated um, a lot, which is to not work with bugs and fish, fishes, in your journeys. Now, as a general blanket rule for very beginning journeyers, not such a bad thing, but it would it would be lovely, in my opinion, if it was not taught as a rule, but actually explained as the principle that it is. And I'm pretty sure I've explained this on other radio shows, so this isn't rocket science. But the point is, illness here in the middle world presents um, in in traditional ways. One of the ways is as a bunch of insects, and we've actually seen this in, um, we see this in popular contemporary stories and movies as well. So the, um, a bunch of insects, sometimes it's an oily, sticky, blacky, tarry kind of substance, um, but some, and sometimes it's fishes, sometimes it's little lizardy things. But what is, what is um, true about most of them if not all, is that they're distorted in some way, usually by having lots of extra teeth um, or the, the feeling when you meet them is a kind of revulsion or nausea or feeling of, wow, that is just wrong. And, and that's different from I'm afraid of spiders or I'm afraid of snakes. It's different than just your phobia of the being, but there's a sense of something being really off and wrong. Um, so that's the principle and that's really to understand why there is often presented as a rule this idea to not journey with insects or fish now with that said there are lots of great insects that you would want to work with that are traditional helping spirits and so in the in the category here of weirdness, for example, there's lots of insects that are don't have extra teeth that are totally showing up to work with you and you need to stop running away. So a spider is a good example. But as I've been saying consistently about all these helping spirits, is it a North American spider, which probably means grandmother spider woman. And it's all about reweaving the web and tying things back together and connecting and all of that. Or is it an African spider, which means it's a trickster. And so these are very different helping spirits. So you got to talk to the spider, right? Is it a caterpillar? Okay, is this caterpillar butterfly? dynamic which is lovely and a really powerful teaching as a helping spirit you get both the caterpillar and the butterfly two for one 
great helping spirit, or caterpillar mushroom, which means your caterpillar is about to die and a mushroom is going to grow out of their head. And that's how we get the cordyceps mushrooms out of caterpillars that don't get to become butterflies. They're transformed into something else entirely that has powerful medicine. So very different story, very different um, teaching story for you as helping spirits. So which kind of caterpillar are you working with? Right. So for me, um, one of the most powerful teachings I received was from an aunt, not ants, but just an aunt. And that aunt taught me a lesson about patience that nothing else in life could teach me or had taught me until that point in time. And I was actually way too old to not have learned this lesson about patience by the time the aunt showed up in my journeys. Um, And this allowed me to learn about patience, which then allowed me to understand a different aspect of practice. I talk a lot about practice in this show, so you know that practice matters a great deal to me. I think it's very important in our shamanic work. But practice is more than discipline. Practice has to do with having the patience to learn from small, very incremental changes. And that is what the ant taught me, is to trust that small step-by-step thing and that ultimately the whole thing would be built on that patience and that practice. It's a critical teaching for humans. We can't really learn if we're not willing to learn that, all from an ant. Okay, so my my point in this message is that there are amazing helping spirits that are insects and amazing helping spirits that are fishes or live in the sea. And it's important for you to be discerning, to make sure you're not talking to an illness, but that otherwise to really be open to what these helping spirits have to offer you. I mean, who wouldn't want a dolphin or a whale as a helping spirit? And frankly, lots of people have them as helping spirits, right? So... Um, again, as with the insects, you need to communicate with them, find out what they're um, here to teach you, find out how you need to cultivate your relationship with them, but that ultimately don't just throw out the entire realm of insects and the entire realm of everybody who lives in the sea just because you've heard this principle about insects and fishes. Know, understand about the weirdness the offness of how illness presents itself. And I don't just mean not of this world the way a mythical beast is. I mean wrong. Makes you want to vomit wrong. That's what we're that's what that principle is about. Okay. So moving on from weirdness back to mythical beasts. The important thing about mythical beasts as helping spirits is that they are here to save the life of your imagination. This is why we need to read to our children and let them generate in their own imagination the pictures that go with the story. And it's why we need to teach them to read the value for reading to themselves. Again, so that as they read, that their mind generates its own images and its own imagination. We need to be very careful about putting our children in front of visual babysitters like DVDs and video games and the things that generate the images for them because it, it, it um, leaves an aspect of their mind dormant, which is the huge important capacity to imagine for themselves 
and to let their imaginations grow wild. And this is critically important if you, yourself, or you would like for your child, um, that you're able to live a life of legend. And there's a whole show called How to Live a Life, How to Live a Legendary Life in the archives, so go look for that. But here at the end of this show about mythical beasts, I believe this is why they come into our lives, to save the life of our imagination so that our imagination can then save us from a small, less than sort of life. And a legendary life doesn't have to be big. There's a wonderful story about the old woman who waved to the kids on their way to school every day and how she actually saved, literally saved the lives of some of these kids as they went through depression and they were thinking of suicide. And they thought, wow, if this strange lady that I've never met can smile, sincerely smile at me every day and be happy I'm alive, then maybe I need to not kill myself. I mean, truly, this woman is a legend in the lives of these children. And all she did was show up in her window and wave to them every day as they went to school. So to me, that's what it means. You don't have to live a big life to be a legendary life. You need to live a meaningful life, a life that touches others in a way that made their lives better. And I believe that this is the primary reason that the mythical beasts come into our lives. is to save the life of our imagination so that we can imagine ourselves as that person in that legend. So I give thanks to the ancestors for gathering round the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. A Masks of Illusion and the Authentic Self, the June dates have happened, but we are um, gathering people onto a wait list for the possibility of a second event in 2016, um, or definitely for pre-registration into 2017. And we have the, the date and the location already. I just don't know what it is off the top of my head. Also at lastmasscenter.org, you can go to the calendar and look into September and October, basic journeying, the clearing class, and the ancestral healing classes will be offered again in Portland, and you can register through the website. So thank you, everyone. Have a legendary week.